Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. Sometimes you think a meeting is going somewhere and it takes you to a completely unexpected place. That's the joy of this week's episode with Mark Roberge, lead singer of the group OAR, short for Of a Revolution. I was connected to Mark through Jason Franklin, one of the founders of one of my sponsors, Sportique. I watched a documentary about OAR playing Madison Square Garden, and one of the things that caught my attention was the fan base behind this band. People have seen OAR 20, 30, 100 times. Another thing that made me lean in is how Mark was described by the other guys in the band. I recognized him as the lead singer, but they used words like chief. Now, I've been talking to a lot of CEOs hoping that they'll show me how to be one. I call the process CEO me, but I hadn't anticipated lessons coming from the lead singer in a rock and roll band. As soon as we sat down in San Diego on the band's tour though, it felt like I was in a treasure trove of advice. This episode comes down to what you have to do on the business side to free yourself to live your passion. You don't need to be in a band to appreciate these lessons. I found the conversation especially applicable to my own situation. I'm on tour myself, doing storytelling workshops at conferences and for companies. And for the most part, I've been concentrating on perfecting the content. But this conversation made me realize what I need to do on the business side in order to take what I'm doing into the stratosphere. I have a hunch that everyone is going to get a lot out of this conversation. You know why? Because I get emails from people asking how they can leave an unfulfilling situation to go after what they're really passionate about. This talk is life 101 for anyone in that position. It all comes down to balance. In fact, recently, a few of my friends have just become parents. This conversation applies to balancing your work, your passion, and your responsibilities as a parent as well. I'm so happy I got to meet Mark, and I have a feeling I'm going to become one of those fans who see OAR 20 30, 100 times. So thanks, Jason Franklin and Matt Altman for connecting me to Mark and for all the comfort you bring to the world through your threads at Sportique. Anyone who wishes to know what it's like to roam in comfort, go to sportique.com. That's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com and use the offer code CAL for 20% discount. Let me tell you something. I just went through a move of sorts, and moves are generally very stressful. Not when you're wearing a Sportique comfy tee. Wherever you're going, let Sportique take you in comfort. Right now, let's go straight to Mark Roberge. I was watching the documentary you guys did around your performance at Madison Square Garden. Loved it. Yes, thank you, man. And 
In the beginning, everybody was being introduced by the other band members and with descriptions. Yeah. And when it came to you, everyone said, chief, leader. <laughs> and it really made me wonder, because I'm trying to step up in my life and be a CEO. More than half my life's done. I've always been the guy out there alone. I've never been part of a band. Yeah. And so what I'd really like to find out in the next 45 minutes or so is what does it do for you to be in a band as a leader? Because they all saw you that way. Right. Do you feel like the leader of the band? Uh, you know, sure, be, uh, in a lot of ways, because that's my job to be the leader. You set um, goals as, hey, we're going to be a professional music act. You know, we're going to make songs and tour. Somebody has to make that call, right? So we all kind of said, all right, that's what we want to do together. Um, how are we going to get there? Well, we need some sort of plan. Everybody in this group has talents when it comes to um, logistics, life, everything. Everyone could be a leader in this group, every single one of us. We have set it up so that uh, certain people lead in certain categories. I may be in the driver's seat when it comes to creative thinking as far as stylistically or what word this band's going to say or do, what it's going to be about, the songs and things like that. But then you've got another person in the group who would be the leader when it comes to logistics of the band and, and those types of business aspects and the person with the artistic covers for our things, you know? So we, we delegate responsibilities um, while maybe I'm leading in some ways, in other ways I'm following the lead of the other guys as well. Now, you and the drummer, Chris, go back to like kindergarten. Does that allow patterns to be set up where like you look over at him he looks over at you. You don't even have to say anything. Yeah, I mean, of course, that that's basically what it is. It's an unspoken thing between... I may have known the drummer, Chris, for my whole life, but we've all known each other for 20, 30 years as well. You know, the, the newest member of our family out here is eight or nine years deep, John on trumpet. You know, so he's been with us for eight years. So that's longer than most bands are alive in the first place. You know, so we have this luxury of knowing each other. We don't have to really say too much during soundcheck. We don't really play that much. You're just talking out and looking at each other about what you're going to do later. Yeah, over the years. But that just comes with, with reps, just taking reps, swings, and playing all these shows. Having that communication is important um, and not over-communicating Every little thing and letting people run wild a little bit is important too. So while we do have those looks and all those moments, it's a lot of trust that you're just going to do what you're going to do, you know? So what, what happens, and let me know if this is something that hits at a certain point, right? When you're young, you're probably seeing this all as artistic creativity and freedom. And then at a certain point, it must turn into a business. Yeah. And what is there? Was there a single moment where that connected for you? So you're absolutely right. When you start out in music, you have, that's why a lot of people say, oh, I love your old stuff to any band, to anyone. Oh, I love that stuff you wrote when you were in your basement. You had no money and you really were scrapped, you know? <laughs> you were hungry. Yeah, you were hungry, right? So um, 
But were ha- they talking about the times when they were hungry too? Yeah, well, yeah. So it's not even your band, or it's it's there, right? It's a reflection of everybody, and um, I think that's a beautiful thing. But in music, everyone has dreams of longevity. I think when they think of I want to be a rock star, they they think of one of those iconic ones. You know, I want to be Neil Young. I want to be these guys and girls who make it the whole way. You know, that's a lifer. That's different than being a rock star or being a musician. I mean, it's like you really have to follow through on the daily to make that work. So in order to preserve your artistic expression that you have when you start, where you don't care about who's going to pay for gas to get you to the next gig, you're just making it happen, that artistic freedom it never goes away. However, you have to learn how to exploit certain aspects of it that separate you from the pack, things that will put your foothold on your way to that mountain. So like in order to get to the Icon Mountain, where you're up there and you can play any shows you want a year and then raise your family and live a life, in order to get there, you better make a lot of really good decisions and you better work really hard and suspend the artistic I don't care and replace it with the artistic I care. Oh man, and you I'm, do sound like you know, a CEO, yeah. brother. <laughs> but you know, and and it's 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 a reality based job where you live an unrealistic nighttime, but your daytime is highly realistic. Where you wake up and you're not with your family, you wake up and your throat hurts. You have all these things stacked against you, but the fact that you have the luck that you're doing your beautiful job that you've always dreamt of having pulls your shit together and you drive toward excellence at night. So it's like in order to have that artistic freedom that we all start with, but in order to preserve that, you have to work in a very real world, in my opinion. I don't know any band who just lollygags, goes to the studio, flippantly makes music, doesn't just wants to express themselves and then doesn't pay attention to the business end and last more than a year. It's just not happening. So I think you have to combine somewhat of a in-the-clouds artistic mind, which it takes to create the stuff, combined with some very smart people who can translate what you're trying to say into a very well-oiled machine. So it's, 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 again, knowing what you don't know and bringing those folks into your world is very important in order to maintain longevity, which I don't know that a lot of people are willing to do. How long do you want to, do you want to be out there when you're 85? I want to be able to play shows my whole life because it's, it's, it's what brings me relief and joy and therapy. So I want to do that. I'm not addicted to the road where I need to be on the road all the time. I'm addicted to my family. So it's like the balance between wanting to be that person that you were born to be that you really cannot fight. Um, I wouldn't be happy if I was never playing shows. It wouldn't be, I wouldn't be happy. So of course I want to play my whole life. However, I want to live a full life and I don't want to miss my kids growing up. So it takes a lot of hard work on, on everyone's behalf. This whole band works toward that end. Um, we're all on the same page. We all support each other. But again, we all want to do it forever. So again, you know, like I'm saying, it's just like you can't be on the road 300 days a year and last forever. It might seem to make sense to you, but that will drive it into the ground. The balance is what makes it last forever. So when you're working on the balance is 
is it set up where, okay, I'm going to be creative now. Um, going back somewhere in the past, kind of lock myself in a room yeah. with my buddies. And we're just not letting the other stuff in. And we're going to create here. It's very much like when I think of writing, uh, it's 3 a.m. There's not a sound in the house. It's the only reprieve that I get, that silence to actually feel comfortable putting words on the page. You know, we've lucked out in the sense that I have a, like a mentor, a producer who um, supports our dream of being a, a band for life. And this guy, this guy, Greg Wattenberg, he has a studio in New York. And he lets me rent a space there that is always open. So when we get a hankering for making a song, we just go in and do it. Back in the day, you got to make a lot of plans to get a studio, get a house, you're going to pre-produce, you're going to sit and you're going to write for a month, then you're going to go back in the studio, then you're going to cut drums, then you're going to... We're just wide open. We're like, we have the studio, it's always on. We're going to go in when I'm inspired. And when I'm not inspired, I'm not going to try to force it. I mean, I just feel that I write songs about my life and they'll come to me. And when they come to me, I got, I'm going to be ready. Just like an opportunity when this band is offered to play uh, the New Year's Eve thing at Times Square. We go and we're just ready when they call. It's not like we're not ready. We're always ready to go make music or play music or tour or whatever. That's our job. So when you're inspired, we go to the studio. We don't set aside like writing weekends or things like that. Um, I literally will go to Nashville and just bounce around if I'm feeling it. If I'm not, I'm not going to force it. It's just not how it works for me. I remember talking to Neil Young, and he was saying how he could almost approach it as a job. Like, 10.30, I'm going to write a song. Sit down and just do it. Uh, almost like a journalist who had a put out a newspaper story or something. Right. So you're in a completely different spot. You're waiting to feel. Yeah, like I can do that. I've done that. I yeah. mean, I love all my friends who are, are songwriters who do that. And I've always respected and appreciated the fact that they can do that. And I, and I can do that too, and that's fun. I just come from a place where it's a therapeutic thing for me, music. It's like I'm working through things when I'm writing and whether it's about my life or something I've seen, it just has to happen naturally. I just, I, I can force songs. It's, that's fun. It's great. But it's like, I'd rather just express what I'm expressing. Hopefully I'll connect with somebody. I'm not trying to win any awards. I'm not trying to like prove anything to anybody. So when I feel like putting that out there, I put it out there and it's like, once it's out, you can't bring it back. Um, I want to make sure what I'm saying is doing me a service at the same time and I'm not trying to win somebody over because, like, you know, that's a frustrating gamble. <laughs> you know? I can remember talking with Art Garfunkel and he's like, he was remembering a time when he was six and he was singing in a place where it was, there was a staircase or something. There was just great acoustics. And as he's singing, he's hearing the reverberations of his voice. He's six years old, and he's thinking, fuck, that sounds nice. Yeah. Do you have a, a similar feeling about a time where you wrote something that got out your emotions and saw it come to life? Yeah, I mean, a great example of that was the song Peace that we have. Um, 
I had gone down to Nashville to write with someone I respected highly, Nathan Chapman. I'd seen him at a recording academy meeting, and I said, hey, I got to work with you, man. Throw me a day. I just want a day. And he found a day. <clears throat> I went down there. He and Blair Daly were sitting in the room together. Nathan walks in, sits on the couch, says he's just come home from church. He was very inspired. He said, I just want to write a song called Peace. Where I was in my life at the time was a very turbulent time that had just kind of started to slow down a little bit. And I wanted peace too. So we kind of wrote the song in an hour. It happened very, very, very quickly. The three of us sitting in a basement in Nashville, knock out this song piece that when finished the demo, the live performance demo was perfect for us. We had no adjustments. We very rarely had a song written that quickly and just walked out of the room and went and recorded it and it went on to do amazing things for us, you know, went around the world. That to me was an experience where when it was written, I knew, I knew something like shattered, the biggest hit we ever had. I knew the second that it started to come together, I knew it was something. So yes, I do have that feeling. I do get those, wow, this is, we're on to something feelings. And I, I know that with other people's music too. Like if I hear something that I think will do very well, um, it's normally, I mean, it's never always right. No one is, if God, if we were. But I, I know when something really moves me, you know, and including our own music. Are there songs that ever surprise you where something comes out and... Maybe you don't have that feeling about it, but other people are hit by it. Sometimes I have the argument with the producers and stuff that I'm like <laughs> not really into something that they say, hey, you know, you got to take a chance here maybe. that That's something that I think is a natural human reaction to someone challenging you, right? Someone saying, well, you don't think you can do this style, but we do. We believe in you, so why don't you take a chance? But that's, I think, natural for anyone who's saying, hey, jump off this 10-foot cliff to the water. You know, I don't want to do it. Well, you're not going to get hurt. Let's try. It's like that human, I'm not so sure about this. But aside from that, I mean, I I pretty much can can get a feeling of what the room is feeling. Um, And I think that translates onto stage. And something that I've really tried to hone in on is reading the room tapping into whatever's going on there. And, and and that translates into listening parties and executives in a room listening to songs as well. Because look, they, and that's why we write the songs we write. No matter what your job is, we all go through the same type of struggles in life um, as humans. So I can tell when someone's connecting with it. You know, listening to you talk, you sound incredibly balanced. And yet like... <laughs> <laughs> Sound that way, yes. <laughs> Where's the tumult? I don't, you know, I, there was a the, the funny moment in the documentary where you threw a smoke bomb in Chris's house Oof. when he was a kid. <laughs> yeah, was, they were very pissed at me, man. They were very pissed. You know, we had, this band has been through a lot in our personal lives that we know that we need each other. So we've never had battles amongst each other. It's always us against everybody else. Um, we're the type of band that trains in the gym until somebody picks a fight with one of us and then you, you're fighting seven of us. And that type of, that's how we feel about oh, this. Oh, man, where did that come from? It's because we came up at a time where, quite honestly, our contemporaries, like our friends in the music industry were great. We toured with so many amazing groups. But we never, I don't think, got taken very seriously in certain circles. 
early on. Oh, man. So that's where and the, we uh, defended, the frat house band, the frat band. Yeah, yeah, which they didn't understand what we were doing. And, right. and we built up a very tough shell. You got a chip on your shoulder. We do. That. Yeah. We're punching up at all times. And uh, we have nothing to prove to them, but everything to prove to ourselves. Like, you know, we can be in a band. None of us were born with natural musical talent, like to just be amazing soloists. It's just not... We're a hardworking band who said, we're going to be a touring act. We're going to get on the road and earn our stripes. And we've developed, I think, that kind of mentality. So, man, this the, the way you're talking, it is almost like a company yeah. that is moving forward, not this work of art that's going to just depend upon the world to embrace it when the it truth wishes. is, man, look, these, there's big bands out there who sell 15,000 tickets a night, every night in every market. You are afforded that artistic freedom and you don't have to really do anything. You every night have the, you're just there and you get to do everything you want to do. When you're in a band in our position where some nights are like that, but in order to string those nights together, you're touring the country and you're working very hard to maintain something that gives you the freedom to write and make songs and sing songs. But it can be taken away in five seconds. If you don't take care of that and do all those shows in between the big, the big ones with the same amount of love and passion that you do with the big Red Rock show, it ain't going to last. You're not going to be given that freedom at all to express your, yourself. So it's like, we're in a position where we have to take it seriously. We don't take w who we are like hyper seriously in our lives. All we care about is providing for our families. Like that's all we care about. You get in the way of that, that's when we become not the nice guys. And it's like, that's it. That's the truth. I mean, you go, you should talk to some of the other dudes and they're not as nice as I am, you know? It's like, <laughs> this is like defense of the life you want to live. Yeah, defend it. It's protect this house. It's that Under Armour thing, man. It's like, you know, everyone's coming after you. Not in, they, you don't think they are, but it's, it's, we are afforded a lifestyle and a job that we dreamt of as kids. So our, we're out here trying to defend that and maintain that. And that's what we do. We have been that way because of the the personal lives that we, the issues we've faced outside of this band have tested us to the point of like. Like, what are we talking about here? We're talking about anything from major health at home for spouses, right? Getting major sick and fighting through it, and still oh, being and able then to get. You're it. on the road while they're at home. Wow, yeah, that's... and and then you know it's a family out here, so you need seven people to have your back. You know, when your kid's in the in the ICU for a month, when this person's, you know, there's so many things that have happened to all these guys that we just, we're not afraid of anything. We're not afraid of anybody. And it's like, you, you, you develop that sort of mentality and it's really fun. You know, we got a crew out here. We got a family out here. All our employees, all, you ask any one of them, they're, they feel like they're part of something. And that's what we're trying to develop. It's like, you know... It's an example for the kids. We, we try to get out there and serve the community and just make it count. Look, Matt Nathanson, an amazing artist guy I love to death. Years ago, we all go through the same struggles of home and da da da, da. He says, look, when you're home, be home. When you're here, be here. It's simple. You're home, That's you know. That's a great motto. Yeah, so when we're here, we're dialed in, man. We're here to make songs and, and spend time together. When I'm home, though, I'm there, like, 
to focus on the family, right? So that balance is real. The studio then becomes something that is available for when you feel it. And then you start calling the boys, Chris, yo, meet me in New York, let's go. And we sit in there for two days, three days, and make some songs. Okay, I'm seeing the balance here. What, what yeah. about something else I wanted to ask you about? So I'm on the phone as I'm driving down to San Diego to meet you. And the guy who called me, when I mentioned, oh, I'm going to see Mark. And uh, he said, oh, I've seen OAR five times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was... It, that's like a reoccurring thing. When yes. people see you, they see you a lot. It's amazing. I'm talking hundreds of times people have these People numbers. have seen you hundreds of 120, times. 120, 99, 84, 65, you know, every day. And it's and it's like, damn, man. I mean, I... What do you do to cultivate? Do you try to cultivate no. that? So you're just being yourself on yes. stage and that's a byproduct of it. When I hear the, you know, there's different artists, different songs that connect with me through my life. And it, and it's the same, like, five songs I've listened to since I was a kid. You know, you hear, like, Lover, You Should Have Come Over, right, Buckley. It's a song I can listen to over and over and over and over again. I don't know what he intended when he wrote it. I have no idea what his whatever theme was. But when I hear it, it just transports me somewhere else. I think that folks connect with something. Or the time in their in lives, their lives. Were there. It's not about us. You know what I'm saying? Wow. It's like it's about them. So, man, they're getting their own therapy while you're getting you your no, therapy. Yeah, man. And it's and it's it's half the price of a therapist, you know, for a ticket to us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and we're going through it too. I'm not ever going to get up there and fake it. Like I'm never going to get ever up. Never once. No. No. I mean, like, what's the point of that? That's not being here. Do you feel? Completely comfortable on the stage. Completely comfortable on stage. Always. Always. Never Completely. never a time. The only times I felt not great is television is hard. Television's hard. Like I remember, you know, going on Conan, Letterman, all that stuff. Like that's that's it's hard at first. I well, mean why is it different? I don't know. You know, you get a guy looking at you and like Conan and you love him and he's looking at you and that day you're on his show. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in, you know, and you so just it's like an inner, uh -huh, you want to, you want to do a good job and that's it. And you just want to do a good job and it's hard. Uh, but I, so I'm always impressed with like Saturday Night Live or any live performance. I, I, they get a pass almost immediately for me. Like, if it's bad, if it's good, and if it's decent, I'm like, hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, the shit is not easy. What, what about, you know, we were put together by our buddies. Yeah, Jason Sportique. Franklin, man. That's the yeah. dog. Another one is making it happen. And Matt Altman. Yep, making that shit happen. And that's the key. We always joke around with, like, I used to have a lighting guy, Malibu, who was a genius lighting guy. Okay, like, he's been on tour with everybody. But... He would come up to me with like, Chief, I want to do this, da da da. I go, listen, just make it happen. Like, I don't. And that that's the attitude out here. It's just like, you know what you can do. It's like Jason knows what he's capable of and he'll make it happen. And like, that's what separates, I think, a successful uh, entrepreneur or um, a business opportunist or someone who can follow through on an idea. And then someone who just has great ideas. And, and that's all they'll ever be, you know.
Why, that is something that I got to get into because I remember, you know what? It was Tommy Matola who told me this. And, you know, he helped uh, get Mariah Carey and uh, Hall and Oates, so, yeah, so yeah, many yeah. Uh, great artists, and work with Michael Jackson. And he was saying, Cal, ideas are a dime a dozen. It's the execution. Yeah. If you can't execute on them, it, it just doesn't mean anything. Yeah, every idea on Shark Tank's a good idea. They're all good ideas. You know what I'm saying? Like, and they're not, and that's why they ask you the questions after the good idea. And that's why I'm, I'm all about like finding the the stuff that works, and and working on it, and being satisfied with that. You know, it's like find satisfaction in the success you're having and not i always tell folks you know they're like well i want to be here at the top of this mountain and i'm like well that's cool so do i but no one just trans you don't just transport there you know it's like all these like island hopping to get there and you have to set these goals and we all know that and then this just separates like when everyone says are you worried about all this digital music coming out everything's free everything's this i'm like no because you know it's still the good stuff's gonna rise it's just like Anything else, it's just more. It's more and more and more, and it's fine. And I think so like- Because it doesn't matter to you no, since it's therapy anyway. It doesn't matter, I mean- You're just doing what you love. We started out doing this. Napster started happening. Oh man, what a time. I mean, we got, oh. we got everywhere in the world. They asked us to testify about it. I said, no, I mean, like this stuff might've been the best thing that ever happened to us. What? Napster. How? In one way, it may have killed the, be, begun the, the death of the CD. You know, maybe we should just explain this a little. Yeah. I talked with Sean Fanning, the guy who mm -hmm. helped create this. Yeah. And uh, there may be people listening that don't remember a day where you had to pay like 17 or 19 bucks for a CD to get the music. Listen, we went from the, one of the most successful independent music uh record companies in the world i mean we we had gold albums independently it was amazing but the writing was on the wall you, you saw this coming we saw it coming my, our manager at the time dave roberge my brother he he started our record label he saw it coming and knew hey napster's your friend he knew that this is your friend let it let it spread and then you know what we're gonna do we're gonna break it down, look at the analytics, say, wow, you're really big, big in Arizona, Nevada, here, here, and here. You're going to now go there. And we would go to play these parties and bars, and everyone would know the words to our original music. Oh, now that's far thinking. And that because was- Because everybody else in music was just looking at each other with their palms up in the air. What are we going to do? Well, and then they had to. They had to say, well, now we're going to do new kinds of deals. Well, we didn't have to do that. We had a business of merch. You know, we were starting to build up merchandise and all these things. But he saw that, and we followed through on that. And we were bummed to see the value of the album go down. Bummed to see the CD disappear. Bummed to see the, quote-unquote, monetary value of music go down. But, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you can't fight the river. It's like you're not going to change it you have to like figure this shit out so well people it might have a hard time believing if you're my son's age he's he's 25 yeah that the idea that 
back in what this is the late 90s or early mm-hmm. 2000s, like the college uh, internet systems would be completely overwhelmed with their students just downloading music for free. And what a monumental shift that was for like the, the bands and the music studios, which are used to raking in the money and, and spreading it around to the point where it boggles my mind that your brother could see ahead and say, no, no, we're gonna look at those numbers. Everybody else is losing. We're going to look at those numbers and see where people love you, and that's where we're going to go. We lucked out, man. I mean, we 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 were we were wow. the same age as our fan base. You know what I'm saying? Like we were doing putting out records. You and, were sharing the music too. Yeah, we were like 17, 18. We started this thing called the Sales Rep Program in 1997, where our our friends from home went to college. Most of them. We knew that. We said, wow, most people go away to college. We'll go to disc makers. This is even before our record label. We'll buy a thousand discs at a time for a thousand bucks. That was their great deal then. And we'll give 25 boxes of 25 to each of these people. And they ha- all they have to do is if you can sell them for 10 bucks, great. If you can't, give them away. But get their name and address and get their email address. I have notebooks full of these email addresses. Oh, man. And we built a database starting then. This is before anyone was doing this stuff. And he saw value in, like, information, you know. And Did people gladly give you the yes. email? Because back in those days, I guess. It was called it- a mailing list. and But for ours, it was called a sales <laughs> rep program. We had, we were, we were just always looking at things in, in not a business monetary, hey, let's make money, but in a community building. We saw Napster building a community, even when people didn't realize that's what they were becoming a part of. We wanted to create our own community within that. Someone and people that we could go back to with our music and shows and they would know the words. So it's like, all of a sudden, we didn't cover music. We just played original music and recorded original music. So the the fact that shows were growing, everything was growing so fast. We just leaned into it, man. And by the time we got to the major labels, we got great deals because they wanted to do business with us because we we brought something to the table. Man, you had mastered the business side. Well, of it. we just only mastered trying. You know, we we no one's ever mastering this thing because this business is just like a moving. It's like just constantly moving and changing. But we mastered the art of trying, and saying, listen, we're going to get on the road and do this. Our posters used to say, always on tour, OAR. Always on tour. Dates and dates and dates and dates. (laughs) And eventually that gave me anxiety. So I was like, get rid of that saying. I I don't want that saying. (laughs) But it was, you know, listen, I'm not like pumping my tires. I'm just saying you got to see things when they're staring you in the face. You know, like, you know, the movie industry is going through some stuff. But the live theater experience will always live on. So how can they make that better? So that's where they're dumping their money now. You know, it's like you knew that was going to come. How do we keep them coming to the theaters? It's like, how do we keep people coming to our shows? That's our goal. Because that affords us the artistic freedom. We've identified the fact that we can't just sit at home and make songs all day and go on tour once every three years. It ain't going to happen. We can't afford this, this beautiful family we've built and all this equipment and all this stuff we own. 
we do it to maintain our freedom to make music. It's like fight for your right to write. <laughs> Whoa. You know, you know I, I'm, do you still see fans or even people that you don't know that might like your music? When you look at them now, 20 years, like more than two decades later, are you thinking, got to get their email? <laughs> or oh, well, that's where you should interview Jerry, our saxophone player who runs like we have. He's a, the bowler, right? He's the dude with the logistics, with the numbers, and he knows every single stat about every gig we've had ever. Uh, he's built our liveoar.com which is our like hub of merchandise and everything and it's not none of it is like no one's no one's digging like spas in the house like this you know what i'm saying like man this is you guys are running yeah, a business yeah here. and we're doing it for our kids and it's like this guy would be able to tell you stats about almost anyone who visits that site and what they what what they are bringing to this community and then we get together with them like today you'll see us with folks all the time we, they, they were at the sound check we'll write the set list with them we'll, or to meet and greet yeah meet and greets and just um trying to maintain those relationships that again afford us this opportunity i mean that's it's it's really basic stuff it's like being a pro athlete in my opinion but not the guy who gets the nine-year 120 million deal right it's the guy who's like look i gotta it's the seventh guy yeah and or I, maybe the fifth guy on the basketball team. Yeah. Got to keep that starting job. Yeah, and he's working hard. Or fourth. First one to practice, last one to leave. And it's like, that's where we're at. And we get it. And we throw songs out there that we believe in. And when they do great, we're psyched. And if they don't do great, we gave it all we got. It's like, I'm not going to fight this like system where I'm begging for uh, hits and stuff. Like they ha They happen because... We just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not out there pandering, I don't think, you know. Now, this is, this is really, I, I, I hate to say music to my ears, but you're treating this like a business that you're pushing forward to accomplish. I don't want to say your dreams because you've already, you're living your dreams. It's to me, it's, it's to. It's you're maintaining To your maintain dream. that dream. Look, one day I'm going to sit on my porch and write and sing songs to the birds. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's great for me. I can't wait to have that but it's just not what we're wanting right now right now we want to play and sing songs together on stages all over the world and that's what we want to do so we said well how are we going to do that we got to do it it's it's like a job you can't just you got to do it to do it <laughs> you know what i'm saying you have to there's just no way around it i don't i don't see that those words are going to be reverberating in my ears Driving back home, you got to do it to do it. Yeah, it's, it's no always it's like two sides of things. You can't just float off into the artistic. I, that was a big mistake I made. When to I, me too. You made that mistake. No, we spent. I spent ten years of this band lost in space. I mean, look, we've been doing, we've been making records for twenty three years, but there was a decade in there where I barely remember what we were doing because we went from getting in the buses. In 2001 and we thought wow we're a rock band we better act like one and we acted like one. <laughs> and we went hard and i you know it was a great lost weekend of 10 years or whatever it was maybe seven or eight years of just like craziness we knew enough to come back from that but yeah no like we've learned that i can't be flighty you know cuckoo bird 24 7 i'd love to be but it ain't gonna pay the bills and it ain't gonna keep it together was there a moment that that thought just 
gelled in your mind. To come back? Well, that, you know, we, yeah, we can't be living in that lost weekend. Yeah. I mean, what you just described is something that I can relate to because I was kind of experiencing it just from going from being a writer to a speaker, being on stage, and I'm just thinking of being on stage. And then all of a sudden you realize you got to be thinking about the business to make sure that moves forward. I'm Everything you're describing to me is stuff that I was going through and I'm trying to feel my way through now. Yes, there was a moment when I went through one year where I wasn't even singing the songs properly and I was doing them in like a spoken word, Dylan, like, I don't know what I was doing. I was so lost in the sauce of like being a band dude that I think I was probably trying to impress my inner child like look well look how cool i'm i'm pretending to be <laughs> you know oh, oh, and i remember quite a few different times but there was one in particular when we'd worked all the way through our atlantic records record deal which is unheard of to like sign a deal go all the way through it in a positive manner with friends everywhere like Greg Nadell, Jason Flom, Craig Kalman, Julie Greenwald. I love all those people. They treated us amazingly and worked our records. Like, that shit does not happen, man. You don't go on a record label and they actually, like, are able to provide you services for all of your records. It just does not happen. So that had happened even when I was lost in space. They were still, like, letting me make records and it was great. And then when we went to renegotiate and what we had come off our biggest hit, ever. There was no real deal there to renegotiate. It was a new time. Things had changed. What a traditional record deal we had didn't exist anymore. They wanted a 360 deal and that was fine because that's what you should be doing at this point in time, but it just didn't make sense for us. And it was like a hard pill to swallow. When you say 360 deal. Oh, 360 deal. Essentially they would sign you up and then participate in all your different businesses, merchandise, touring, Essentially giving you advance money against recouping it. Whatever way they could, your t-shirt. Which I don't blame or, them for because right. the CD sales went away. So that's life in the big cities, my dad always said. And it's like, that was fine. But what was hard to swallow was that like, and now you're 30. And that was, I thought that that wasn't a big deal at all. I was like, oh, well, cool. 30s, 15, what's the difference, you know? But it was the very first time I had felt like, oh, we're not like the college kids on tour anymore. It's time to man up, get your shit together, and and take care of this thing. Because guess what? It can be over at any moment. Like today, when the label's telling you, yeah, we're good. We're all friends, but we're good. We're going to pass. And then you're like, oh, now what? So instead of like retreating into some corner somewhere and indulging in the rock and roll sad guy, um, which is like ridiculous because, you know, it's like, wah, I get to play songs, wah, <laughs> you know, like that's not me, <laughs> never going to happen. Um, we just decided, okay, look, we got to make it happen. This is it. And uh, we did. And so everybody immediately got immediately. on board at one. I, I'll everybody never forget under, the we, meeting. We all turned to even, <laughs> even Even the guy, or my, my boy from Atlantic, who had to give us the news that business together probably wasn't going to happen, 
I, I mean, I loved him for it. Like, that's my dog. You know, it's all good. But it was like, yeah, okay. We get it now. Like, we got to make it happen. Like, when you're young and you're 20 and they want to sell that, that's cool. You don't, but you don't realize it at the time. Like, we were the same age as our audience. We were just <laughs> along for the ride. So when it became something that you had to now create a new, get a label, get it going again. That's when everyone stepped up again. And we all really focused and learned that you can have fun and be in a band and be a band dude and not be a caricature of a band guy. You can be, quote unquote, a real road dog and you can really do that. And that's what we wanted to in the first place. So those second 10 years was about earning it after the fact that you already had it. It was really cool, man. And, and, and I have to say that it's because of everyone stepping up and having that moment of clarity. You know, I'm telling my wife right now, this is part of it, finishing up an interview. Because <laughs> she's like, where are you? What are you doing? <laughs> um, but, you know, there was that moment. And I'm sure you got a slap in the face where it was like, hey, wake up. You know, like, at least I did. And I took it. You can take it one of two ways. And we took it the positive way. Yeah. And since then, those folks that... We basically like had to split up the business at the time have now worked for us and helped us in so many other ways, like find other labels to work with. And so there's so many great people in the music industry that if you stick around long enough, you know, and you, and you, you see who's working hard, you know, there are friends out there for you. I think it's easy for people to go the other way where you get discouraged and everyone becomes an enemy and you think, you know, and it's just not the case. I mean, it is what you make of it, in my opinion. I just feel lucky to be part of music. And that's why we're always fighting for it. No, this is beautiful. I'm going to let you go to your wife in a second. No, no, second that's okay. I just wanted yet. to tell you, I wasn't like texting like, nah, what chicken, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Let's, let's just... All good. Uh, I, I want to, since we were put together by the folks at Sportique, just talk about the word comfort because... It's amazing. I and I'm, I apologize. I have they they made some t-shirts. I got merch. Oh, trust me, I'm a fan <laughs> of Sportique. We've always been. So for us, obviously being on the road, comfort is you know it's a comfortable lifestyle. Oh man, I, you know what? I just re- being on the road. What is what does that mean? Waking up in the morning and just putting on a t-shirt or a hoodie. So you can be comfortable. Yeah, I mean, that's everything. Jason's so nice. He always gives us a big box of goodies. We get to put on our our comfort stuff. And, like, you kind of never get out of that pajama time when you get to live on a bus with your buddies. Every night, you know, everyone's breaking down. second that show's over, you're going to see a lot of sweatpants, a lot of sweatshirts, a lot of sweatshirts, and a lot of comfortable stuff, man. And, and Sportique's always providing for us. We're their biggest fans. We're hoping that they just continue to grow at the rate they are. They provide, like, a certain part of the market that I think is, is based around comfort, you know? And it's also the athletics of it. Out here, you know, you have to stay in shape to last in this business. I didn't even consider that. You can't, man, you have to. Every day has to be some sort of exercise, some sort of care, health, because the longer you go, it's, it's, it's just wearing at your body. It's like a professional athlete, for instance, like hockey. That entire culture, I relate to because they're, the, the, what it took to get there. So, you know, you're always moving, always bouncing, always ready. You get that call, you're ready. 
right? So you need to take care of that. You need to be healthy. You need to be ready. And then at night and in the mornings, you better be comfortable, you know? It's, again, balance, man. Can't always be one or the other. You can't always be sitting around being comfortable, <laughs> you know? I, you know, I take a lot out of this conversation. Uh, most of all, uh, what I take is the positivity and the not seeing what happened with Napster as, oh, shit, this is the end of everything we built. Think like your brother. Yeah. Let's take a step back, look at the numbers, and see how we can move forward. Just thinking like that would just make you a different person. It would give you a, a feeling of comfort as opposed to discomfort thinking they're the enemy, they're taking my livelihood away. Right. I mean, and, and, I, and that happened because with the groups that were huge in the early 90s, they didn't know what was happening. It was like, oh, my God, this is the end. We're going to sue them. We did never considered any of that. We actively re refused to even comment on it because uh, we were then getting called to all these hearings and all this stuff, like to be involved in some manner. And I, because we were the poster childs of like people who benefited from it, Dispatch, a lot of our bands from that era benefited. So they were going to try to paint us as the people who were killing the business, you know what I mean? And we just felt that. I mean, just look, the writing's on the wall, man. You got to just see it coming. Like right Get their email addresses. Yeah. <laughs> like right now, man, I look around, I'm thinking, wow, they're doing a really good job figuring out the streaming stuff. They're starting to monetize it. We're probably not going to benefit from it for years, but the people coming up will. That's really important. But one thing I am seeing is that as much as, as human beings, we're going into this service industry where we want instant access service and everything on our phones from delivery food to music to content or anything, gratification, instant. There's still the pull of the live experience. You can't replicate it. We're all trying so hard to develop apps and experiences at home and 4D and all this stuff. So you feel like you're at a concert, but it ain't going to happen. Because you got to be at the concert. You got to be at the concert. It's never going to happen. And that's where you want to be. And that's where I want to be. I, I don't care if it's the small, if, if live concerts become a small niche thing, that's fine because that's where I'm going to be. You know, it's like that's what we were born to do. I'm not born to figure out the, the new digital landscape of music. I'm, I'm just trying to exist where we exist and do it really, really well. And every single night for two hours, you're going to get an honest look at seven people truly thankful to be on that stage. I mean, we wouldn't, if we wanted to be somewhere else, we would be somewhere else. And that's the attitude of, if you stop any of the band guys, they'll tell you the same thing. It's like, we're here and we're here for it. That's what we're, you know, that live experience, that tangible, smelly, <laughs> sweaty, smoke-filled room. And... And we love it. And that's why we do it. It's a comfort, I think, maybe now that you mentioned comfort. I just thought, wow, the ultimate comfort is during the show. I should probably wear some more comfortable clothes. I stopped wearing <laughs> get boots. Get some sportiques, yeah, man. Yeah, I stopped wearing boots two years ago because I'm like, what am I, who am I trying to fool? I'm 5'8", you know? <laughs> well, I left my Big Questions t-shirts at home, and uh, but I'm going to send oh, you, you some. Oh, you did? Send me, yeah, man. So I want to rock it. <laughs> I'm a collector of teas too. So oh, there yes, you go. Oh, you're going to get some pretty Please. soon. I, I'm going to have to figure out a way to do a forward pass so that 
since you're always on tour, it arrives well, in the right thankfully, place. Well, thankfully, yeah, thankfully we have a pretty tight schedule. You'll, we could we could link it up anywhere, and we got some stuff for you. Um, are you going to stick around, or no? You got to probably get back. You, right? you know, it, I'm in a crazy situation where I got to be in San Francisco early oh, tomorrow. That's far. But look, this, I, you know, I'm going to be one of those people who years from now, somebody's going to ask, "Have you ever seen OAR?" And I'm going to say. 36 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wherever you're at, I will be there. And I promise I'm going to be listening to you on the car all the way home. Man, I dude, that is so cool. And I'm sorry I'm yapping your ear off. And I know I, I sound like aggressive about it, but when you have something you love, you got to fight for it. Because they there's always somebody coming for you. I hang out with the athletes because I appreciate the fact that they fight for their jobs every single day. I love that. I don't know what it is. My pops, like, we had jobs when we were 12. Get a job, get some money, get some land. It's like very simple stuff my dad would tell me, and, and that is what our business is, very simple. We come from Maryland, we come from Ohio. That's who we represent. You know, it's like hardworking people, so. That's why we take it so seriously. But I swear on the stage, we don't take it that seriously. <laughs> don't be scared. Thank you so much. I, I leave here with that ringing in my head. You know, I'm starting a business. I went for years where somebody was paying me a salary and they took care of that other side of things. And now I know I'm in your shoes right now. Yeah. And you know how big you, you can make it, man. I'm telling you, that, it's like no there's, ceilings. There's no ceilings. No ceilings. And it can happen. And we've seen it happen, continue to happen. Whereas somebody who maybe gets all the help in the world cannot maintain it because they never did it themselves. It's like building a how the third floor first of a house. It ain't gonna happen. It's just like it doesn't work that way. You can't you can't go up there and do that, you know. You've supercharged me. Yes, me Thank too. You. I feel Thank much better so than when much. we started. I was half asleep. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> not asleep now. No, and no, I'm no. Buzzing, man. no. I'm I am fired buzzing. up. <laughs> it's been absolute delight, and I'll see you at the meet and greet. Yeah, man. Jason, Thirty-five times from now. Yeah, Jason told me he's like, "You're gonna love talking to this guy. He's gonna make you happy." And I'm like, "All right, we'll see." <laughs> and then here, here I am, I'm smiling ear to ear. Thank I you, brother. I appreciate it, Cal. Thank All you, brother. Right. Cheers. Cheers. That about wraps it up. Wanna thank Tim Ferriss for leading me on a new adventure. Now I'm learning how to be a CEO because of Tim. If you know of a CEO who's doing great things, who might be just the right guide to CEO me, please let me know. And if you know any company that needs help telling its authentic story, send me an email. Also, check out OAR on tour. And when you go, you might want to show up in a sporty tee. I'm telling you, you're never going to be more comfortable than when you are dressed in sporty. Could be a tee, hoodie, sweatpants. You just got to feel those threads to know what I'm talking about. So go to sportique.com, S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com, and use the offer code CAL for a 20% discount. That's not an ad. As soon as you put those threads on, you'll see. It's a blessing. Oh, oh, oh. Nancy, thank you so much for your note 
He made my day, my week, my month, my year. Thank you all for listening and reaching out. See you next week. Cheers. Cheers.